0: So with all of this in mind, I'd like to ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Luke, the 12th chapter, Luke chapter 12, and we will read together Luke chapter 12, verses 22 through 40, Luke chapter 12, verses 22 through 40. And he said unto his disciples, therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat neither for the body what ye shall put on. The life is more important than meat, and the body more than raiment. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn. And God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than fowls? And which of you taking thought can add to his stature one cubit? If ye then be not able to do that thing which is least... Why take ye thought for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, they spin not. And yet I say unto you that Solomon, in all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothed the grass, which is today in the field, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? And seek not that which ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink. Neither be ye of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after. And your father knoweth that ye have need of these things. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell that ye have and give alms. Provide yourself bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that fadeth not, where no thief approaches, neither moth corrupteth. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let your loins be girded about, and your lights burning, and ye yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord. And when he will return from the wedding, that when he cometh and knocketh, they may open unto him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet, and will come forth and serve them. And if he shall come in the second watch, or come in the third watch, and find them so, blessed are those servants. And this know that if the good men of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not have suffered his house to be broken through. Be ye therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh in an hour when ye think not. Let us pray. Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we come to you, recognizing the fact that you are sovereign over all, recognizing the fact, Father, from what we have heard in your word this morning, that your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is given an everlasting and eternal kingdom. His dominion will know no end. And it is the, to that kingdom, Father, that He calls us. It is to that dominion under which He calls us to live. And Father, as our good shepherd, He knows the, the sometimes anxieties or fears that we have with this thought of seeking Your kingdom first. And so, Father, what we pray In this morning hour is that we would hear the words of our good shepherd who says to us, fear not little flock, for it is the father's pleasure, your pleasure, father, to give to us the kingdom. And so, father, open up this passage for us, we pray by your spirit, apply to our hearts and give to us, we pray, father, either for the first time or renew within us, father, This great outlook and orientation of life, whereby we, as citizens of the kingdom, would continue to seek that kingdom. We ask and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give unto you the kingdom. What tender words these are, are they not? This passage of Scripture, which is really giving to us a number of what I would call the primary and even essential teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ, is kind of softened, not by way of its demands, but softened by way of the potential anxiety that we may fear in taking up the call that Jesus Christ calls us to. In this passage of Scripture, Luke chapter 12. He is kind of going over, in one sense, many of the things and many of the challenges that the people of God continually face. It's kind of interesting that if we were to read through the entire 12th chapter, we would see that the Lord Jesus Christ opens up the chapter with a great warning. And the warning is the warning against hypocrisy. And that's something that each and every one of us has to be aware of. That we are prone to hypocrisy just like any of the Pharisees that we read of in days gone by. There is something within the nature of man that oftentimes wants to put up the mask. Oftentimes wants to make sure that other people think about them the right thing. And the Lord Jesus Christ warned us about that. He goes on in verse 8 of the 12th chapter to to warn us against being afraid to, to own Christ in a fallen world. He exhorts us and encourages us to make sure that we do not shy away from naming Christ. And in a day and age in which we live, that's a fear that many of us sometimes undergo, is it not? That if I speak too boldly for Christ in my workplace, what will be the result of that? If I speak too uh, freely about Christ to my neighbor, what will they think about me? Oh, the little difficulties that we face in Western culture. What about our brothers and sisters in Christ, who we read of continually? who because they're doing what you and I are doing this morning, do so under the threat of death. But our Lord Jesus Christ says to them, do not fear, do not shy away from owning my name. In verse 15, he warns against covetousness, materialism really. And that really begins to kind of direct the focus of everything that he says in the remainder of this chapter. Because it is at the point of our proneness to depend on our outward circumstances rather than on the provision of God, the Lord Jesus Christ gives this warning, beware of covetousness because your life does not consist in the things you possess. And he gives that very insightful parable, that illustration of that rich man who by standards in any age would be a man that many would look up to. He had succeeded in life. His business had gone very well, so well that he was able to say to himself, what will I do with my riches? And he says, I know what I'll do. I'll build barns and I'll, and I'll make places for my riches. And what, one, of the, one of the underlying currents in that whole illustration or parable is essentially this. This rich man sat down and asked himself what he would do with his riches. That rich man never sat down and asked God what he should do with his riches. That rich man thought that he would build up treasures for himself, overlooking the fact that God has given material wealth to his people in order to be a blessing to others. And so the Lord Jesus Christ says, beware of covetousness. He also goes on to talk about how that uh, how that the, the people of the world, the Gentiles, this is kind of what moves and motivates them. And we see that this is really true in our day as well, is it not? We, 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 we see the, uh, the effect of, 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 of commerce and we see the effect of, of capital and these things are not bad in and of themselves. I don't think that there's ever been, maybe some of you who know history better than me may be able to correct me on this. I don't know that there's ever been a very um, uh, prosperous or um, nation or state that did not have a good sound economic system. You need it. You need it for defense. You need it for education. You need it for so many things. And so what we see our Lord kind of drawing attention to is that the Gentiles seek after these things. And that's one of the keys. They seek after these things. And it's purposeful that our Lord Jesus Christ says in verse 31, But you, followers, citizens of a heavenly kingdom, but you seek the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. You know how many times we look and we observe and we see individuals, and sometimes we find even ourselves wasting ourselves away for that which God has freely promised to give, worrying ourselves away for that which our Heavenly Father has taken responsibility for, wondering what will come next, overlooking the fact that God Himself is, is, is promised to be our Father. And it's in this whole context that the Lord Jesus Christ gives that great call. It's, and again, as I said before, it's one, of the, it's one of the fundamental calls of our Lord's ministry. Seek first the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, that huge category that kind of permeates our Lord's entire ministry. He comes preaching the kingdom. This kingdom that can only be entered through the doorway of repentance and faith. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. This kingdom that rules over all. This kingdom which directs the, the, the outlook of life. And he knows when his disciples hear that call to seek first the kingdom of God, in the back of their minds, they're probably saying, well, what about, my fam- what, about my, what about my provisions for my family? And what about this? And what about that? And that's why he says the words of our text today in verse 32. Fear not, little flock. It is your father's good pleasure to give to you the kingdom. Tender words and large promises. Tender words, fear not, little flock. Large promises, it is your Father's good pleasure to give to you the kingdom. And so what I want to do is set before you this passage of Scripture under that primary point. Tender promises, and excuse me, tender words and large promises to the children of the kingdom. So with this in mind, again, I want to just bring your attention to a number of things. It, it is not without... Uh, Reason that our Lord Jesus Christ refers to as followers is a a little flock. Over and over again, we see in the word of God and we see by way of experience that oftentimes uh, the Christian finds himself as as a minority in a larger community. The Christian finds himself, him or herself, sometimes uh, just a a very small uh, group among the larger group. And so what we see is that throughout the word of God, there is an awareness of this. There is this awareness that while there is coming a day when in heaven there will be an innumerable multitude, right now, in a very real way, we as the people of God find ourselves as a small flock. We look among ourselves and we sometimes wonder, will the work of Jesus Christ in this world go on? I'm here to assure you it will. Sometimes in spite of us, without us, it will go on. The promise of God is there. We, we see the, uh, the, 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 uh, the threats to the church of Jesus Christ. And these threats are not just threats from outside. Oftentimes, these threats are, are threats from within. You remember what the Apostle Paul said in Acts chapter 20. He was fearful that from among your own, from among your own selves, he says, to the, Ephesians, to the Ephesian elders, shall grievous wolves rise, uh, rise up, not sparing the flock. How much of the weakening of the church of Jesus Christ takes place by by those who have responsibility to the flock of Jesus Christ. How much dampening of the zest and the zeal of the spirit takes place because of those within the flock of Jesus Christ. And so again, we see that oftentimes the church finds itself as a little flock. And and, and the word of God addresses itself to this and gives encouraging words. Listen to some of the words that we find in the scripture concerning God addressing the little flock. Malachi chapter 3, verse 16, we read the following. uh, Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that sought upon his name. If you look in Malachi, what you will see is this, is that the nation as a whole was defecting from covenant faithfulness. But even in that mass defection, there was still a group of individuals who were seeking the Lord. And what they were doing, they were doing what you and I are doing right now. They were coming together. And God said that he was writing down a a book of remembrance. Remember last week we talked about the library of heaven and all those books that are in heaven. Remember last week we talked about in Psalm, it was Psalm 56, I think, verse 8, that book of remembrance where all your tears are recorded. We read today from uh, from Daniel that a book was brought before the Ancient of Days. Oh, the library that's in heaven! Won't it be a wonderful thing to read one of those de- one of these days? So again, God is saying to Mount through through the prophet Malachi that He has His eye on His little flock. Another passage of Scripture we read is in Isaiah chapter one, verse nine, and, I, and, 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 uh, and Isaiah says this: "Except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant." We should have been as Sodom, and we would have been like unto Gomorrah. Except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant. We would have been as Sodom, we would have been as Gomorrah. Notice what Isaiah is saying here. Isaiah is saying, recognizing and understanding that apart from the grace of God, Israel was no better than Sodom or Gomorrah. And you and I look within ourselves and we say, apart from the grace of God, we are no better than sinners around us. And except, the, except God had left to himself a remnant and called us to be that remnant, where would we be? Amen. Have you ever ask yourself that question? Where would you be without the grace of God? What would you be without the grace of God? Isaiah says we would be no better than Sodom and Gomorrah. Another passage of scripture, Jeremiah 23, verses 3 and 4. God says this to the prophet. I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries I have driven them and bring them again unto their folds and they shall be fruitful and increase and I will set up shepherds over them and which shall feed them and they shall fear no more nor be dismayed neither shall they be lacking saith the Lord. What do we see here? God again is saying that he will gather his small flock together. He will appoint shepherds over them and every time we see the concept of shepherds in the scripture our mind immediately should go to the person of Jesus Christ. Christ, And that's what brings us back to the passage of Scripture we're considering today. When the Lord Jesus Christ says, Fear not, little flock. He is standing before them in his majestic and, and tender role as the shepherd of the sheep. Fear not, little flock. So what I want to do is I want to take a look at this passage of scripture as I said before and we will consider a number of things concerning it. But as I said before, the thing that I want you to know and understand by way of a primary point that we're making this morning is that Christ makes to or excuse me, Christ speaks to his little flock tender words and gives to them very large promises that God has instructed him to give. But let's take a look at the passage here now. Verse 32, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give to you the kingdom. The first thing that I want you to see here is this idea of fearing not. Now, it's amazing how many times this command is found in scripture. It's found at least 80 times. The command to not fear, the command to face life in the fullness of faith. The command to engage life with all of the grace that God gives. The command to not shy away from the providential circumstances that God has put us in, but to engage them fully in the power of the Spirit of God and with the Word of God permeating through us. You see, fear not. And the reason why our Lord says fear not, as I said before, because He understands the nature of the, of the task that He's calling them to. He is calling His little flock to seek the kingdom of God Even while from a human perspective, it may be bewildering to do so. It may not even make sense to do so. And it may cause a degree of hesitation. And so our Lord Jesus Christ says, fear not. And when he does this, as as I said before, he introduces himself to us as the shepherd of the sheep. Because he says, fear not, little flock. He could have said, fear not, my disciples. He could have said, fear not, my followers. He could have said, fear not my church. And all the and, and, and not for nothing, I would have been preaching up all those terms if, if, that, if that's what the text of Scripture said. I would have been preaching up the concept of the church if he said, fear not church. I would have been preaching up the concept of discipleship if that's what he called it. But here, purpose, he said he says, fear not little flock. And I think, again, there's something purposely tender and compassionate in that statement of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's this idea that he is the shepherd of his sheep. You know, we see our Lord Jesus Christ presented to us over and over again in the word of God as a shepherd. And I would even suggest to you, I think the Lord Jesus Christ takes great delight in making himself known as the shepherd. I think he takes great delight in making himself known as that one true shepherd that God appointed over his flock. I think, he take, I think he takes great delight in the fact that God, his Father, loves him in a particular way because as the shepherd, he gives his life for the sheep. John 10, 17. Therefore, my Father loveth me because I laid down my life for the sheep. God the Father has a particular love for his Son because the Son, as the shepherd of the flock, lays down his life for his sheep. Isn't that an amazing thing? And I think the Lord Jesus Christ, as I said before, I think he loves this title. I think he wants to be known by this title. And certainly in this passage of Scripture, he wants to comfort us through that title. The Lord Jesus Christ as the shepherd of the sheep. There are other things that come to our attention when we think about this idea of the Lord Jesus Christ as the shepherd of the sheep. We have a number of passages of Scripture that we can turn to. We're not going to turn to them all. But what I want you to see is that there are three passages that come to our attention when we see Jesus Christ in his function as the shepherd. And those three passages set before us, three great ideas concerning the Lord Jesus Christ in his, in his shepherding ministry, if I can put it that way. The first thing that we see by way of our Lord Jesus Christ is he identifies himself as the good shepherd. We see this, as I said before, in John chapter 10, where the Lord says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. What a wonderful passage of scripture. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. What, the, what, what, what makes the distinction between the good shepherd and the shepherd for hire? The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The good shepherd has, his, has the well-being of his sheep in mind and therefore the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Another passage of scripture where we see a descriptive term by way of the the shepherd, uh, our Lord Jesus Christ as the shepherd, is found in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. And we often read this passage of scripture as a doxology. And in that passage of scripture, the Lord Jesus Christ is brought to us not so much as the good shepherd, but as the great shepherd. Phenomenal, isn't it? Again, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. Now the God of peace that brought up again from the dead, the, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep. He's not only the good shepherd, he's the great shepherd. Another passage of scripture taken from Peter. Peter speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ as the chief shepherd. Whatever pastors are to the flock of God, and they are They are significant. Whatever pastors are in the purpose of God, and, and, and again, that's, that's, that's important. There is a sense in which every pastor is nothing but an under-shepherd, under the chief shepherd. No. And what we see here in, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4, Peter says this, And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Now that passage is significant even in the context of Luke. Because one of the things that I haven't mentioned yet, and I'll develop this in a little bit, and I'll make just mention of it here now very quickly, is this. Is that in this whole whole conceptual framework of seeking first the kingdom of God, there is an idea that I think is oftentimes overlooked when we think about the kingdom of God. And in Luke chapter 12, an idea that is connected intimately with the concept of the kingdom of God is, is that those in the kingdom actively await and look for the return of Jesus Christ. That's why he said in verses 35 through 37, again, conduct yourself in a way uh, as a servant who's looking for the master to return. That's all in the setting of what it means to be in the kingdom. So to seek the kingdom of God means to seek the return of the king as well. That's why he gives that warning. He says, listen, listen, if the good man of the house would have known what time the thief was breaking in, he would have been on the watch for it. And what's the idea? What's the purpose? Be on watch for the return of your your king. Your king who returns to you. Your king who is coming in glory. Your king who, according to Peter, is coming with great reward. Every time I I think and and, and speak about the return of our Lord Jesus Christ, I, I, I can't help but using the story of Robin Hood as an illustration. And many of you might be thinking, well, where are you going with this Robin Hood? You know, robbing from the rich and giving to the poor. Well, that's really not what I'm talking about from the story of Robin Hood. But you remember what Robin Hood and his merry men were doing while they were kind of, again, taking from the rich and giving to the poor. I'll pass that by as far as commenting on that right now. But you remember what they were doing. They were waiting for King, what was it, King Richard, I think it was. They were waiting for King Richard to return. That's really the driving theme throughout the whole story waiting for King Richard to return. And there they were living under the evil reign of the sheriff of Nottingham. Well, we have our sheriff of Nottinghams as well in our day. And what God calls us to is to faithfully expect the return, not of a King Richard, but the return of King Jesus, the chief shepherd of the sheep. You see this idea, this is what it means to seek the kingdom of God. To seek something means to set out by way of purpose To seek something means to set out by way of determination. To seek something in particular means that we're not going to be distracted by something else. It means that there is going to be a focus on certain things and not focusing on other things. And that's what it means to seek the kingdom. But included with this is this idea of having this anticipation for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so again, we see this by way of... The Lord being the shepherd, the great shepherd, the good shepherd, the chief shepherd of the sheep. Now, when we take a look at the qualities of the shepherd, our hearts are kind of magnetized toward the Lord Jesus Christ when we understand rightly what the scriptures teach about uh, Jesus Christ, the shepherd. Because the first thing that we see about our Lord Jesus Christ as the shepherd of the sheep is that he is the shepherd who seeks his sheep. He is the shepherd who seeks his sheep. We read in uh, in, in, uh, Matthew chapter uh, 18, verses 12 through 14. And our Lord is saying this, How think ye if a man of a hundred sheep and one of them be gone astray, doth he not leave the ninety and nine and goeth into the mountains and seeketh that which is gone astray? And if so be he find it, verily I say unto you, he rejoices more. Then uh, more, I'm sorry, he rejoices more of that sheep than of the ninety and nine, which went not astray. Even so, it is the will of your father in heaven that not one of these little ones should perish. And therefore, in order that not one of these little ones perish, God the father sends his son to be the good, the great, the chief shepherd to bring into his flock those who the father has called his own. Not only does he find his sheep, but he leads his sheep. This is the great promise and the great comfort that we see in Psalm 23, is it not? Psalm 23, verse 3. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. What a shepherd you have. What a shepherd you have. He leads you in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. But did you see the first part of of that verse? He restores my soul. Oh, the sheep of Jesus Christ sometimes get knocked around and battered, do they not? Sometimes they barely escape the jaws of the, of the predator. Sometimes they are weighed down with all kinds of burdens. Sometimes they come into the, in, in, into the sheepfold bleeding and battered. And there is the good shepherd of the sheep restoring the soul. Not just the body, but restoring the soul. And so you see, this is your shepherd. This is the shepherd who calls you to seek first the kingdom of God. Why would we seek any other kingdom? Did you, did you notice in, in, the, in the book of Daniel there, as, as the passage of Scripture was read, what was the one thing in common that every one of those kingdoms had? They came and they went, they came and they went, they came and they went, but unto the Son of Man is given an everlasting kingdom, whose dominion knows no end. It's that kingdom that you're called to. Make your wager this morning, friends. Make your wager this morning. Whose kingdom will you identify with? Whose kingdom will you be in? Whose kingdom will you seek? Whose kingdom will you spend yourself for? Mm -hmm. You see, Jesus Christ says, seek ye first. And by the way, he says, fear not. Mm -hmm. Fear not. You have a heavenly shepherd and a wonderful father who is calling you to this. Mm -hmm. He leads his sheep. He provides for his sheep. John 10.10. The thief comes not, but to steal, kill, and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. That's how your shepherd provides for you. Your shepherd provides for you abundantly. Your shepherd feeds you out of the depths of his riches. He finds, he restores, he leads, he provides. And then lastly, and most importantly, concerning our Lord Jesus Christ as the shepherd of the sheep, we've already talked about it. We've already uh, already mentioned this. As the shepherd of the sheep, what does he do? He lays down his life. John chapter 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Oftentimes in the word of God, when when you read that expression, they were a sheep without a shepherd. It's a reference to that, to that body of people who have forsaken God. It's a reference to that body of people who do not have God. It's a reference to societies and cultures which have turn their back on the voice of the shepherd. Are we as a nation sheep without a shepherd? If we as a nation are sheep without a shepherd, my friends, you can be a sheep in the fold of Jesus Christ because you are seeking not this kingdom or the kingdom of this world. You are seeking that heavenly kingdom. And so again, all these qualities by way of who and what our Lord Jesus Christ is. And as I said before, this, kind of, this, this, this is kind of the, the heading under which those tender words are given. Tender words and large promises. Again, fear not, little flock. What a wonderful way for the Lord Jesus Christ to address us as his people. Fear not, little flock. And I have to make application here. I really do. I don't know what you know, you're dealing with. I hate to be so vague and so general at this point. But we all come to church, don't we, with life behind us. (laughs) We all come to church with the week behind us and the week in front of us. And who knows what's going to happen. We know what happened last week. Who knows what's going to happen the week to come. And maybe, as I said before, you're coming in here needing restored. But what I want you to see and what I want you to understand is this. No matter what the week behind was and no matter what the week in front was, I want you to see that Jesus Christ speaks to you very tender words. Fear not, little flock. Look to this coming week. And fear not, little flock. Look to the bad news that you heard last week and fear not, little flock. Listen to the command of Christ contextually here now. I kind of I jumped ahead a little bit and I went to the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Consider the words of, of our Lord Jesus Christ contextually now. When he says to us who live in an affluent society, who have been given the gifts of, a, of personal ability and the gifts of societal structure to be able to create wealth, it's one of the blessings of our land. You and I don't have to wonder. How can I put it like this? You and I don't have to just look to one sum of capital that's there and say who's going to get their piece of it. You are blessed with ability and are blessed to live in a society where you are able to create wealth. But Jesus Christ says to you, who, has, who, has the, who have this ability to create wealth, he says to you, he says to me, sell your possessions and give alms. Sell your possessions and give alms and store up for yourself a treasure in heaven. What is our Lord saying here? Well, some have taken this to mean that our Lord is saying sell everything you have and give it all away. That's probably not exactly what he's saying. What he's saying really has to be understood in the the setting of the parable about that rich man. Remember we talked about that rich man who asked himself the question, didn't ask God anything. Asked himself the question, what am I going to do with my riches? And God ends up saying to him, you fool. You thought you had days ahead, but this night thy soul will be required of you. Then whose will be those things that you have provided for yourself? And what our Lord is teaching in this section of scripture is essentially this that those who seek the kingdom of god must always use their resources as a source of blessing to their foes, to their fellow brothers and sisters, and to those who they see in need. That's what the whole giving of alms is all about. The idea that god blesses us not to accumulate resources on earth. God blesses us, and I even hate to put it this way because it's going to sound somewhat mercenary, god blesses us in order that through our blessing of others, God may store up for us treasure in heaven. I hate to put it this way because it sounds so crass, but your giving of alms is the spiritual retirement 401k it, it is. I mean, I hate, I hate this. I hate sounds so crass, but, but that's what you're doing. When you, are, when you are giving to those who are in need, and when that material thing is being transferred from your hands into the hands of another, there is spiritual treasure being stored up for you. Again, we do that with our retirement, don't we? Certain set, certain percentage, set it aside, set it aside. You say to our kids, look, you know, as soon as you start making set it aside, set it aside. Christian brothers and sisters, those of us in the kingdom of God, set it aside, set it aside, set it aside. Set it aside. So some of us might be saying, hey, come on, how can I do that? I can barely make ends meet now. Fear not, little flock. It's your Father's good pleasure to give unto you the kingdom. This is amazing. Because on the one hand, Jesus Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, what does he say? He says, seek the kingdom. Then on the other hand, he says, it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Isn't this a wonderful thing, the way we see how how spiritual realities come to us? What God commands, we humbly ask for him to give, and then he graciously and happily gives. I think it was Augustine who said, command without wilt, and then give without commandest. Whatever you command of me, command it. And then give the grace in order, that, in order that I might do what you command. And so we see then in this passage of scripture that our Lord Jesus Christ is addressing all those fears that, that the reality of serious discipleship and following of Jesus Christ calls for. Now you know how, how narrow that gate into the kingdom of heaven is, don't you? You know how narrow it is and how straight that way is. And if you were left to yourself to find a way into that kingdom, you would never penetrate those doors. Oh, but come through the way in which the shepherd has laid out for you. And what is that way, you ask? What's found in Mark chapter one, verses verses 14 and 15. Jesus Christ came preaching the gospel and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repentance and faith open the door. And so again, all of these coming in to the presence, not only not only being led into the presence by a good shepherd, but now being led into the presence of a heavenly father. And what I want you to see from this passage of scripture by way of the designation of our father as a heavenly father, what I want you to see uh, in, this, in, in this designation is essentially this. Understand that there is a sense in which the Lord Jesus Christ is laying before us God and his graciousness. Now this is very appealing to us. It's wonderful to know that God is God over all. It's wonderful to know that God, by way of his majestic majesty, is the sovereign over all. The Lord God omnipotent reigns. It's one of the refrains that you'll hear in heaven. It's one of the principles through which you live this life. And we think of God in all of his majesty. We think of God in all of his awesomeness. We hear that passage of Scripture and we kind of identify with it, which says, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. But isn't it wonderful to know that that fearful, living God is now our Father through faith in Jesus Christ. This is one of the dearest ways in which the Father presents Himself to us. I'm saying to you, I think that every every form of religion that is not able to embrace God as Father is an impoverished view of religion. It's a religion that will never satisfy the individual longing and need. And here is God coming to us as Father. Becoming our Father through faith in Jesus Christ, you know the passage of Scripture, Galatians chapter three, verse twenty-six. For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ, and that reference to sons of God isn't so much a uh, uh, isn't so much a, a designation of gender; it's a designation of privilege, because it was the son in the household who was the beneficiary of all the father's blessings. It was the son in the household is the one who would be the heir of everything that the father had. And you are all sons, in spite of Mrs. or Miss or Sister, or you're all sons through faith in Jesus Christ. You've been brought into the blessings of your Father. And the thing that we see primarily here is not these, not, is not blessings by way of, or merely blessings by way of material uh, goods. God grants them. The blessing is, is much larger than that. And this is why we said tender words and large promises. Well, what is the large promise? Fear not. It is your father's good pleasure to give to you the kingdom. The kingdom that we read about in Daniel chapter 7. The kingdom that has an everlasting dominion. The kingdom where the ancient of days has, is given to the, to the son of man. That dominion which has no end. That kingdom where, whereby Jesus Christ is professed as Lord of lords and, and, and king of kings. That kingdom on all of its glory. That kingdom on all of its splendor. That kingdom on all of its grace. That is the kingdom that the Father is giving you. Praise God. And so we see here again this large promise. And so, my brothers and sisters, I, I, I bring this message to something of a close with, with these questions. And, and the questions are essentially this. What kingdom are you seeking here this day? Can I be more personal? What kingdom were you seeking when you walked into this church this morning? And can I plead with you that as you leave this church, that you will seek the kingdom that, that good and gracious and loving shepherd calls you to seek, and that your good, loving Heavenly Father graciously gives to you. My friends, seek the kingdom of God. And let's seek it without fear. Knowing who we have underneath us and behind us, knowing what promises sustain us, knowing what shepherd is ours, and knowing what fathers is our father, who, who what father is ours. Let us go and seek this kingdom in such a way to where the way that we live, if you don't mind me saying this, my prayer for for all of us is that God would, is that God would, through our lives, adorn the gospel of Jesus Christ. That God, through your life, would make the gospel attractive. That God, through your life, would make the gospel of Jesus Christ attractive compelling that God through your life would give a glimpse to others as to what it is to live in the kingdom. And then my prayer is that God would give you the opportunity to make that known by way of word, to make that sensed and felt by way of deed. You see, this is the kingdom that we are called to. And this is the kingdom that you are promised. And this is the kingdom that God is, is, is giving to you. And this is the kingdom that your heavenly, good, great And Chief Shepherd tenderly calls you to. Mm -hmm. My brothers and sisters, we have a Savior to proclaim in the midst of a world that is is intoxicated with its own sin. Mm -hmm. May we, by the grace of God, so live for Christ that the world around us will see this Great Shepherd of the Sheep.